Hello and welcome to Raise the Room podcast. I'm your host, Danica. Here at Raise the Room, we are trying to consciously raise our kids, re-raise ourselves, and by doing so, raise the vibe of any room we walk into simply with our authenticity. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Raise the Room. I am Danica, your host, and thank you for listening to my quick little update last week and to those of you that reached out after I just shared how hectic my life has been lately in a full and wonderful but overwhelming way. (laughs) Um, I really appreciate those of you that took the time to listen and, you know, send some feedback. That was really nice. Our house is moving along. I am on my third large kitchen bag of garbage and old toys and broken things from my oldest son's room because he is a hoarder in the making. And it's been hilarious because I've like been, you know, cleaning out drawers and closets, just one little area at a time. But his room, it's taking me about four different sessions and I'm doing it sneakily when he's not home and I'm only doing a little bit of it at a time so that he doesn't notice <laughs> all of the things that are going missing. But I- I'm not kidding when I say right now there are still currently on his dresser like four large rocks and a pile of small ones and then beach glass. Like he is just, he's a collector. In his closet, I found three different sticks from outside. Sticks. But I was like, okay, these are going back outside. Oh my gosh, it's it's never ending. And then just like little bits and pieces of old toys that he doesn't use that are broken or he has a hilarious collection. He's also quite obsessed with accessories. Like he loves a necklace. Like he, he has been rocking a puka shell necklace for the last year and a bit. Asked for a chain for his birthday, a necklace chain. He's a real trendsetter. I have to, I admire him because like he takes things that aren't really in style, but like he makes it work. The next thing you know, three of his friends are asking their parents for puka shell necklaces. <laughs> the moms are reaching out to me like, this is definitely Bowen's influence. And I was like, uh, my apologies. <laughs> and way to go. Let's bring it. Let's bring it back to the pukas. But yeah, it feels good to be doing this. And we have our... Um, realtor photos coming up this week and then next week it's all happening the realtor open house the public open house the you know listing dropping all the things so I'm excited and I don't know again I don't know if an episode will come out next week but yeah I will keep you all updated as we go through this process Oh, and we get to view properties. Um, This Thursday, my husband has an interview in the town that we're moving to, and I'm tagging along, and then we've set up a whole bunch of properties. And it's a pretty humbling move in the sense that we are moving back to my community, my original childhood community, which I have always loved. Um, So we're moving for that reason, for community. Like, you know, almost all of my bridesmaids, I think all but one actually currently live there. And, you know, my parents are still there. And yeah, there's just those friendships and connections. And then we're even closer. We're a shorter ferry ride to my in-laws and and their extended family. So we're moving for that reason. And I have to keep reminding myself that because we are not moving for a housing upgrade. Um, It's humbling because the housing market is more expensive where we're going to. So 
I'm feeling so sentimental about this house. We brought our youngest boy home here from the hospital. We bought this place and it was in absolutely terrible condition. And I'm very lucky that I'm married to a handyman and his dad is like a house builder, basically. And we got to renovate this place and the bones were good. We just needed like a full cosmetic upgrade, which ideal. I got to choose what I wanted within reason. And yeah, I'm just proud of of what we've done with it. And it's funny because now I'm appreciating. I have always appreciated because we upgraded from a townhome to, to this house. So I've always been thankful for this place. But now that I know all of these little spaces that we most likely won't get where we're moving, I'm like, oh, you know, we're not going to have a full separate laundry room. We're probably going to have a laundry closet. <laughs> I hate stacking washers. Oh my God, they're so gross. I'm sorry. I hate them. And, you know, I've got like so many closets in this house. It's a it's an average sized home, but it has whoever built it had storage in mind because there's an insane amount of storage. So it's just funny, all of these things like our view of the sunset. I'm so sentimental about it all. But yeah, we're um, we're moving for other things. And I'm not so secretly hoping we get a fixer upper because I like um, putting our stamp on a place. That being said, I do nothing. I do absolutely nothing. When we moved into this house, (laughs) I was pregnant with our youngest and I did not lift a finger except that I did, you know, provide the food and beverages for the, uh, my hardworking husband and father-in-law and brother-in-law that helped, et cetera. But I did nothing. (laughs) So when I say I want to fix her upper, my husband is like, yeah, I'm I'm sure you do, Danica. Like you get to choose the colors. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But I do. I like doing that. I like knowing that uh, what we put in the space is something that we chose and that we like. But yeah, I have to be realistic about it because I'm not the one doing the work. And it seemed like it was because of the pregnancy. And I let everybody very conveniently believe it was because of the pregnancy. But we all know that I I wasn't offering regardless. (laughs) And you know what? My husband's so particular about how he does things because he's genuinely good at it. He'd take one look at my painting skills and be like, no thanks. <laughs> Ooh, also kudos. My sister-in-law did help out a lot too. I didn't mention her, but she did lots of painting and cleaning and she just got right down to it. And my mother-in-law, everybody, my parents, honestly, it was such a whole family effort. Um, oh, we're so lucky. Such a nice, nice community. So you can see why I'm feeling a little sentimental about it all. Um, But hey, family members will be calling on you, I'm sure, sometime soon. (laughs) All right, let's get down to the episode. Um, We're talking about my favorite parenting tools today. I got the idea for this, honestly, just this morning. And I thought, oh, I think we need to talk about this. Now, there will be a couple of tools, maybe in the traditional sense, like tactical things that you can touch. (laughs) But there's also going to be some other deeper meaning items on here because as we know with parenting, when we are consciously trying to raise our kids and, you know, long game parenting, the quick fixes, the tips, the hacks, they're they're good for in the moment sometimes and that's about it. I'm not against them. I think we need a balance. I think we need the iPad time sometimes or, you know, whatever it is to get us through Um, But I do think that when we're talking about behavior, 
it's that long-term repetitive consistency that maybe doesn't give us in-the-moment results, that maybe still has us completely weathering the tantrum in the middle of Ikea, (laughs) Um, that really are going to serve our children in the long run. And these tools that I'm talking about today are kind of connected to the idea of big feelings. Kids have big feelings. They don't have the ability to emotionally regulate like we do as as adults. And I think there are some wonderful parenting tools you can have in your parenting toolbox out there to help with big feelings. A lot of the time, as I talked about in my uh, Triggered by Our Kids episode, a lot of the time the big feelings are just straight up hard for us to process and to maintain regulated while we're exposed to them because we have a hard time regulating our own emotions, our own big feelings. We have a history of stuffing them down or avoiding them or we just straight up don't feel them anymore because that got shut down in childhood. So a lot of the times big feelings is a very difficult aspect of parenting. I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're like, yeah, duh. (laughs) Big feelings are difficult. But it's actually interesting when you stop and think about it because so often we're triggered by their big feelings because we can't handle our own big feelings, right? Or we have zero experience handling big feelings because the last time we were in front of them was when we had them when we were a kid. And so you've never been the person who's on the receiving end of it. Or maybe the opposite. You're somebody who lived in a household where there were constantly tons of explosive feelings. And so it was triggering for you to then be dealing with them with your little kiddo or your teenager or whomever. It's very ironic. And it's just a cruel, cruel game that um, the universe plays on us when we're faced with our children and their needs specifically their emotional needs. Okay, so let's get started. This one is a front-loading tool. So something that you use as not necessarily a preventative measure, but it's something to help kids name their feelings. And you can use it just as a daily indicator, but you can also use it to point out when you notice things are kind of going south. Or, or when things are going well. And this is called the zones of regulation. I have mentioned them before, but it's basically just a paradigm to help kids understand their feelings in simple terms. And they're related to colors. So there's four zones. There's blue zone, green zone, yellow zone, and red zone. And each of these zones are responsible for a certain set of emotions. And actually, these emotions are activated in different parts of the brain. So it's an awesome tool in the classroom because you can teach kids about the different parts of their brain and, you know, what's happening when we're having certain feelings and what parts of our brains are turned on and turned off. Um, For school age kids, it's a really awesome sort of educational tool. For at home, it's just really great language. I used it as early on as toddlerhood with my oldest, honestly, like at 18 months, I was exposing him to this. So I'll go over the four zones and um, there's tons of free printables online. I would just keep a visual out and I would use the language regularly, daily. So blue zone, this is like your slow moving blah zone. Maybe you're feeling sick, maybe you're feeling tired or bored. It's like a low energy zone. Then we have green zone, 
Green is where we are always aiming to be or hoping to move back from, right? It's normal to be within a different handful of zones throughout the day, but that we're always trying to make our way back to green. Green is calm, focused, ready to learn, content. It's when our brain is most receptive. So kids are not going to be able to hear our directions, our apologies. They're not going to be able to process anything when they're not really in green zone. Green zone is when their prefrontal cortex is online and they're able to make proper decisions and choices. So the goal is always to kind of be in or coming back to green zone. Then there's yellow zone. Yellow zone is like slightly activated. It can be feeling a little silly, feeling a little excited. It could also be kind of you're feeling nervous or a little anxious and actually even frustrated if it's just a little bit frustrated. But this one I point out a lot because this is to help kids realizing that they're quickly entering into red zone. And we'll talk about red zone in a second. But yellow zone's like the warning signs that's sort of slightly activated. You're too in your head and you're, or in your body if you're too excited and, and wiggly. You're not able to focus because of it. And so it's an awesome... Um, almost like indicator or warning to kids. Not, I don't like saying the word warning, but it's what I would use to point out to my son, like, hey, that was a really yellow zone choice there, you know? Or, oh, it's interesting. You're repeating yourself, but not actually hearing what I'm saying. That's, are you in the yellow zone? And I'll ask. And so then it gives them a moment to kind of stop and and think about it. When it's like with your young toddler or something and you really need them to, I don't know, like buckle their seatbelt, but they're moving their bodies too much. It's like, oh, in order for me to do this safely, I need green zone. What I'm seeing is yellow zone behavior right now. So just referring to all of these things in your daily dialogue and just having it become a normal part of your family's vocab is so helpful. And then red zone is when you're out of control. It's like the brain is shut down. They're in their pure fight, flight, or freeze. They're angry. They're mean. They're yelling or hitting. They're just out of control. Um, And basically, like, they need time and space. There's no real getting through to them. So this is, you know, they're in full tantrum mode or they're in full behavior mode. And so red zone, obviously, There's no getting through to kids. And when you understand the zones of regulation, you know that that is not the time to start negotiating with them. That's not the time actually even to be laying consequences on them or threatening or any of that because they are not here. They're not really in their body. They're not in their brain. Their brain is completely unable to access the green zone, the zone where you want them to be. When they're in red zone, it's about helping them Try and come back to green zone because nothing's going to stick otherwise. So, you know, breathing techniques or, you know, distraction or just validating their feelings, connecting with them. Honestly, it's just whatever you can do to get through the red zone. The red zone is not the time for the teachable moment. (laughs) They're beyond. You can, if you can catch them in the yellow and redirect and bring them back into green, that's one thing. But once they've got to red, that's, we can't do anything except let them be red, keep them safe, keep the people around them safe, and then help them try and get out of it. And actually, even as I'm saying this right now, I need to be better at 
saying to my kids, like, it's okay to be in red zone or it's okay to be in yellow zone, you know, because it's true. Like we all, these are all human emotions. We're going to experience them all throughout the day. We're not all robots in green zone all the time. Um, But I definitely want to set the boundary that it's okay to be in red zone sometimes, but we can't make it everybody else's problem. We can't be aggressive, whatever. It's okay to be yellow zone and maybe really worried about something, but we can't let it affect the things we need to do or whatever. Trying to get them to understand that your feelings are okay and we still need to manage and function and um, be respectful and kind even throughout that. So a good little mental note just for myself but if you have been around me when I've been around my kids and my family knows like we use this language all the time I just assume everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say like red zone green zone blue zone yellow zone it's it's completely an integrated thing in our home and I'm sure now that I'm stopping and thinking about it, it sounds really silly to people that don't use it sometime like red zone. Oh, he was so red zone the other day. I actually will say that to my friends. So I don't know. Once a teacher, always a teacher, I guess. Yeah. So go print off your free zones of regulation and just pin it up somewhere and you can start using it. And I use it for myself. I honestly will use it to help explain to the kids how I'm feeling in the moment, you know, like After, let's say we've had a full red zone moment, one of the kids has completely lost it, we're finally back, and we're, I don't know, going somewhere, or we're at home, and they want something from me, or they want to play, or yeah, they need something, and I'm not ready yet. I haven't let it go yet. I will just be like, you know what? I definitely can do that for you in a few moments. I'm still in yellow zone and I know that I need to take a little bit more time to calm myself down before we X, Y, Z. Or I will say to them like, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just feeling blue zone today. There's just something going on. I don't know. My heart's just a little sad, so it's okay. I know that what I can do is go for a walk or um, talk with a friend or whatever. And then I share my strategies on how to get out of that zone, but it's just a completely everyday thing around here for us to be talking about the zones of regulation. All right, my next parenting tool, my favorite, and this is an actual tool, is a timer, a visual timer. Yes, we all have timers on our phone, and I I use that when we're out of the house, but I spent the $40 or whatever it was on a visual timer from my local teaching store. Um, But you can also, I think, just get them off Amazon. But it's one where you pull the timer to the time that you need. So five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it's a big red section. And then the red section slowly disappears as the time dwindles. And then a sound goes off when it gets to zero. It is so helpful for kids to have the visual. A timer is great. I use my phone one when we're at the park or we're out of the house, but the visual, because time is so difficult for kids, to have it seen in front of them so that they understand, oh, I just have a little bit of time left. Like, you know, if you give your kids a 10-minute timer and you say you've got five minutes left, they really still don't understand any of that at a certain age. When they're older, yes, but for little kids, a visual timer. This helps immensely with transitions, any type of transition, you know, like whether you've just negotiated extra time for the, you know, 
tiles to magnet tiles to be out or you're talking about when you have to get your shoes on to go or um, you're taking turns and one person's using the toy for the set amount of time like it is so helpful for kids to know what's coming and then when you're consistent with enforcing whatever it is that you've said is going to happen at the end of the timer they will know they will come to just trust that that's how things are going to go another tool to go with the tool of the timer that I think can be really helpful is letting your kids negotiate a little bit with the timer so have it be a normal thing for it to be an agreement as opposed to like, okay, 10 minutes for this and you just plunk on the timer and then they're stuck with your agenda all the time. Make sure you regularly build in times where they've set the time limit. Obviously, don't do this in high stakes moments when you've got to get out the door for the doctor's appointment or whatever it is. But when you can be flexible, allow them to be the ones to set the parameters or give them a choice. Like, would you rather... Um, each have a turn for four minutes or each have a turn for six minutes and then let them choose which number they'd rather and give them some power and some autonomy with the timer when you can. Um, And then they won't resent it as like this, you know, ticking time bomb all the time. Again, this is sort of a preemptive tool, but transitions are so hard for kids. You're going to want to use any tool and trick necessary to help your family because when you're responsible for a human, there are a shit ton of transitions in a day. I literally sometimes use the timer for myself. (laughs) If I'm home and I need to get something done, I'm like, okay, can you vacuum the floors in 20 minutes and I'll set it and I will try and beat my own time just so that I get something done. Or like, you're not going to go on your phone for this amount of time and I set the timer and I love it. I don't know. It's a staple in our living room. I highly recommend. It's ugly as hell. It's not for the interior design magazine, but it's very practical and helpful. All right. Tool number three. Not a tool at all, but more a uh, Montessori method that almost never fails. When your kids are having big feelings, it is a principle, I believe, in Montessori teaching that getting them either outside or in water will almost always change their mood. (laughs) So this is a distraction method. This is a redirect Um, It's not going to be one that works all of the time, but just a change in scenery, a change in environment can be so helpful when kids are experiencing big feelings. Like even if it's like, okay, you know, they're really upset about something, but let's say they're not angry. They're just like really sad. Getting them to come outside with you while you walk and talk about things or process it, so good for them to be physically moving to work through things and just outside in the fresh air. Or, you know, you're young little one is struggling with something they're upset like plunk them in the bath sometimes that is just the best thing and they're happy and it's a total snaps them out of it change of scenery change of mentality so water and outside tools they're not really tools but they are powerful powerful tactics okay number four I have a couple of books here that I have found to be amazing parenting tools, but really in general, number four is just content that makes you feel empowered and that feels aligned with your parenting methods. Any and all content, whether that's following somebody online, whether that's a podcast, whether that's buying the book, whether that's going to a conference, do not just 
buy the book or the thing because everybody else loves it. Buy what feels right and aligned to you. So early on in my parenting journey, I found a couple of books that I really felt like, yes, this is helpful. I feel like it has the sort of conscious mindset that I love, but it also gives me practical strategies. So one is a book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And I believe one of the authors of that one is Adele Farber. Um, and they have two versions. They have a version for little kids and then um, school age and teenage kids. Highly, highly recommend the book. They have so many scripts and like, you know, scenarios that are just really everyday, realistic, helpful scenarios. I actually think I got the idea for my visual timer from one of those books, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I just felt like it was written by two moms who, I I don't know, they had some sort of educational experience that that matched. I don't know if they're a psychologist or something, but it felt so relatable and it felt so aligned to me, the, the way that they approached talking to kids. And it wasn't coercive. It wasn't manipulative. It wasn't demeaning. It was really just simple, strategic ways to help kids manage their feelings and help you have an open, honest relationship with them. So that book really resonated with me. The other one that really resonated with me, I've already talked to on here, is by Dr. Dan Siegel, No Drama Discipline. There's a few wonderful tactics in this book. The main one is connect, redirect. (laughs) So when it comes to big feelings, we have to connect with our kids basically before they're gonna really feel like they've resolved anything. They're not going to come out of red zone and get back to green zone really without some sort of connection because often at the root of these huge feelings is is a massive fear of disconnection. So connect, redirect. Connecting can be physical connection. Maybe you have a snuggly kid. Connecting can be making a joke that makes them laugh and kind of snaps them out of it. Connecting can be just simply validating their feelings, you know, being that ear and those eyes for them when they feel seen or so that they feel seen and heard. And then redirect, help them move away from what just happened by distracting them with something, not in like a cheesy way, but just, oh, what about this? Or ask them a question or Make an observation that kind of gets them thinking about something other than the problem. Connect, redirect. And he goes into all the science behind it. It's all very brain-based, so it felt quite (laughs) legitimate. And I think we've all made the mistake where we've tried to lean on a tool that just didn't feel right to us. Actually, probably my one of my first experiences with that was um, reading a sleep training book. And I did sleep train my son, my firstborn, at like just before four months. I was so young, but I was so sleep deprived. He didn't sleep. He he wouldn't co-sleep, but he wouldn't sleep on his own. It was just like a nightmare, you know. Um, And I had a friend who just like followed this method and then their child was sleeping through the night and I'm reading the book and the whole time I'm reading the book, I'm questioning this person's methods because nothing is backed up by science. It's all just like, well, it's common sense, you know, like there were no. (laughs) Yeah, I just felt very my like teacher brain, which I'm not somebody who who is skeptical in this way, like, oh, I need the research. I need that. 
it does feel good to have the research, but it really made me realize reading an entire novel where somebody is claiming to know something, but they're not making the claims based on anything other than their own opinions. I questioned the the author the whole time, and yet I was so desperate for sleep and desperate for it to work that I just pushed through and it was like awful, awful nights of scream crying and, you know, my husband and I fighting because of it. And that's just a moment where I was trying to make a tool that didn't feel right for me work for me. And it's like, no, there were a billion other sleep training books out there, gentler methods, you know, and this person claimed to be using a gentle method, but it just, none of it was really based in any sort of fact and they kept using their example of their third child and how you know my first child I did this and my second child did this and the third one I used this method and they sleep amazingly like they spend most of their time in their bed and I was just I hated that too I was like that doesn't sound right to me either I think you just lucked out with an easy sleeper (laughs) but anyways I digress use the tools and the content that feel good to you and feel right to you. If you pick up a book or you take a friend's recommendation or you listen to a podcast that does not match what you want and what you feel, then it's not for you. There's something else out there. Parenting is unique. It's nuanced. It's layered just like we are. And you have to follow that and trust that. So get the content, get your library that you can go back to. Those are awesome tools because sometimes after we've had like a particularly shitty time with our kids, we can then go take a peek in our books that we loved. Maybe they have a chapter on something you just went through. We can go back to an old podcast episode that we found reassuring. Like have your things there for you, like your little support circle that is support circle of knowledge to help you for next time. Okay, my next big feelings tool is anything to do with sensory toys and tools because a lot of the time sensory overload is a problem and plays into big feelings. So when I'm talking about sensory toys, like I'm thinking, um, you know, little stress balls or like kinetic sand, something tactile for kids to kind of This would help them come back into green zone. Um, Maybe they have like a specific hiding spot, like a little nest that's really tight and cozy for them. Maybe your child likes that to calm down after a big feeling. Uh, Maybe you have a wiggle stool, you know, these are all very like classroom things, but they help for our kids at home, right? Maybe they've got a particular rocking chair or a beanbag chair or something that feels good to them um, and appeals to their senses to help them come back into their body. There's a variety of them out there, you know, fidget toys kids love, obviously, but you can use that in the difficult moments of just like, hey, why don't you, here's this, just place it in their lap or, you know, it might get thrown at you, but... (laughs) You can also set it up like when you're feeling this way, why don't you go back over to the little nook we've made you go to your beanbag chair and you've got your things there. And over time, they will learn to associate those things as safe tools and safe spaces that help bring them out. And these are are things you can have around your house at all times, but there's sometimes when they have an attachment to them, they can sometimes be a real saving grace for the big feelings and for helping your child come back down to green zone. 
I'm really excited and honored to say that today's episode is sponsored by Van Isle Hairstyle, a hair care and accessory brand that promotes healthy hair and is home to the original zipper scrunchie and silk heatless curl set. Amanda, the founder of Van Isle Hairstyle, is the epitome of a manifester in human design. She was going for a run one day and didn't have anywhere to put her keys, so she followed her manifester urge when she got home and sewed herself the zipper scrunchie, and thus Van Isle Hairstyle was born. Beyond adorable accessories like clips, claws, and scrunchies, she now creates her own shampoo and conditioner, scalp scrub, and more. Her products are paraben, sulfate, silicone, and phthalate-free, cruelty-free, and vegan. I swear only a manifester would decide to make her own shampoo. You guys, the scalp scrub is an absolute must, and I also love her shampoo and conditioner. My hair feels so clean and silky after, and it smells really, really good. I can't finish this ad without talking about the heatless curl set, however. This is a game changer for your hairstyle. Zero heat, and you have beautiful beachy curls that last all day. It's a regular in my routine. For Raise the Room listeners, Amanda has gifted you a 15% code to use on her website, vanislehairstyle.com. That's V-A-N-I-S-L-E-H-A-I-R-S-T-Y-L-E.com. Just use the code RTR15 to claim. That's RTR15. So let's raise the room with a good hair day. Thanks, Amanda. We have covered number one, zones of regulation, two, a visual timer, three, uh, Montessori method of getting outside or getting in water, four, your content library that makes you feel good, books, podcasts, whatever, and number five, an arrangement of sensory toys, objects, tools, areas that help your children regulate. So those are all some, you know, tools, like tools or mindsets or little strategies. We're going to now get into the ones that are more nebulous, <laughs> that are more uh, raise the roomy, <laughs> that are a little bit harder to put your finger on, but are probably the most important. So number six, your best parenting tool for big feelings is self-care. Yes, that's right. I'm not talking about your child. I'm not talking about your child's big feelings. I'm talking about you and you navigating your own big feelings and you being the sturdy leader that your household needs so that you can handle your child's big feelings. We cannot put ourselves on the back burner. We cannot serve everybody else before we serve ourselves. We become the worst version of ourselves. We become impatient. We become less less sympathetic we become less joyful and there are times when we are going to have to overdo it. That is just the life of a parent. There are times where we're going to have to push ourselves and not get the rest that we need and not get the exercise that we want maybe or whatever it is. There are going to be times where we sacrifice. That is the truth, plain and simple. And it's a season of our lives and we are blessed to be able to do that. But we are not going to be do that, be doing that for the entire season that we are parenting. We are not going to be sacrificing everything we want and need and desire for the entire time that we are raising these kids. No, 
Because you know who else loses out on this? On you, on the best version of you, is your kids. You do as well, and that should be just as important. But if you're somebody who's a chronic overdoer, then that's how I'm going to appeal to you, (laughs) is that you're not actually doing all that you think you are. Because what kids need to see is us taking care of ourselves. Because unfortunately, we can say all the right things and we can hope that our kids do all the right things, (laughs) but they're learning from our actions. Modeling is the most powerful parenting tool. I probably should have included that. So We need to treat ourselves how we hope our kids treat themselves one day. We have to model that for them. And I bring this up because self-care and taking care of ourselves, however that looks, and that doesn't just mean the fun, fancy stuff. That doesn't just mean the manicures and the girls' nights and the bubble baths. It means truly taking care of ourselves from a mind, body, soul perspective. So doing the things that give us joy, being reflective and curious about our patterning and not being afraid of our feelings, um, getting the stimulation and the exercise that we need. It's all of those things that comprise self-care. And the self-care and us being the best version of of ourselves is what's going to provide us with the tools that we need to be a curious, reflective, empathetic, conscious parent. Straight up, we're not going to be able to handle our kids' shit if we're not handling our own shit. That's just it. So it might not be a fancy little knickknack that you can have in your living room as a parenting tool, but it is probably the most profound thing you can do for your children is take care of yourself. All right, we have two left. The next one, number seven, is support, community, people you can rely on. That is a parenting tool that we need. We need the people to laugh at the hilarious shit our kids say to us with and do and we need the people to commiserate and cry with when we are at our breaking point when we feel like we don't have a direction when we're feeling overwhelmed we need people in our lives if you are listening and you are somebody that has an estranged relationship with your parents first of all i'm sending you love second of all i recognize that those of us that have healthy relationships or, or present relationships with our parents, we are at an advantage because grandparent support, if they live close by, is hugely helpful. So if you don't have that, I am sending you love. I just want to acknowledge that right here now because I know even just listening to stuff on how to be a good parent, if you have a difficult relationship with your own parents it can be hard and kind of triggering just even listening to this stuff so I just want to put that out there to honor first and I also want to say we've got to find ourselves people in our life that we can call on to help us with our kids whether that means actually help like can you watch my child so that I can go for a 30 minute walk before I pull my own hair out (laughs) or Help us with our kids in that they have a sympathetic and kind ear and somebody that you can call and just vent to or turn to in times of need. We need support. We have gotten our world to be more and more individualized and more and more separate. We've lost the village to raise a child thing and we need it. So 
We need to all be responsible and accountable to create our own villages. Who are the people that we can count on? Who are the people that our kids can count on? Because also our kids need more role models and more healthy adults in their lives than just us, right? They need other people to get other perspectives and other ways of being from. We want them to be well-rounded. So let's be conscious of who's in our lives. Let's take inventory of who is in our lives that we can truly ask for help from and who we can help too. We're like, we need it to be a two-way street. We need our people. That is a very important parenting tool. And it's extremely important in regards to big feelings because usually the emotional support, you need that after you've had a, a big day of, of big feelings, right? Not to mention, sometimes an outsider's perspective can just really cut through the bullshit. It's like you, we have all these tendencies to overthink and, and add more to a situation to try and be fair. And sometimes you need an outside person to be like, no, <laughs> that was wrong or this was right. Or maybe that's what I need them for. <laughs> okay, we're coming to our last one. My voice is getting hoarser and hoarser as this goes on. Is that a word? Hoarser? More hoarse? I don't know. Um, because I think this is an important talk, topic and I've just been going hard, <laughs> talking hard at it. But the last one, our most important, one of the most important parenting tools is our own intuition. Mic drop. Yeah. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. Our own intuition is one of the most powerful parenting tools we can have in our toolbox. And that is because we know when something feels right, when something feels wrong, when something feels like a match for somebody else and not for you. So much of the difficulties of parenting can come from the self-comparison of looking around and seeing other people doing things in a different way and wondering why that doesn't work for you or how come my house doesn't look like that how come my kids don't do that self-comparison in the parenting world is a tricky tricky bitch to deal with and when we get quiet enough to hear and feel our own intuition we typically won't be led wrong i made a tiktok today that was talking about the most difficult thing in parenting and i said that the most difficult thing about parenting is that you'll never know what your most difficult aspect about parenting is until you're a parent. There's no preamble to that. And that it's never the same as anybody else's because we each are unique people with our own unique DNA and life experiences that makes whatever the most difficult aspect of parenting for us is completely new compared to somebody else's because we are a different human experiencing it differently than somebody else would. So parenting serves us up very rewarding opportunities for growth, which is a really positive way to say like it's difficult as hell to do, but it's because it's so worthwhile and it's so ripe with opportunities to get introspective and like heal and break patterns and do better trusting your own intuition helps you quiet that self-comparison BS that goes on in our minds and feel more at peace because you're doing what feels right for you. So it just makes more space in your life for more joy, more confidence, 
more alignment. 100%, this is easier said than done. (laughs) As is the whole episode. Like I'm talking about tools and like some deep stuff and I still yell at my kids and sometimes wonder why I had them and um, you know, last just last week I cried thinking of totally messed them up. Like these are all aspirational, true, but things that are helpful and important. And I always am conscious of making sure that we talk about the messy side of parenting too. And that just because I'm on here sharing what I think is a good way to do things or these are good tools doesn't mean that I feel like I've got it figured out. No, 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 no. And I've probably made that clear a bazillion times, but I really, really want it to be clear. (laughs) I'm not coming at you from a home where like, you know, we're all singing in harmony and nobody's fighting and uh, toys are getting cleaned up by my kids (laughs) without (laughs) us yelling at them every day to do it. Like it's normal over here. It's totally, totally normal. And I do think that investing the time into these types of parenting tools is going to pay off in the long run. In my weaker moments, I wonder what the fuck I'm doing and if I'm messing my kids up and in my more aligned, authentic moments, my more intuitive moments, I know that by choosing to lead with long game parenting, choosing not to just make the moment work for me by shutting my kids up or shutting them down or whatever needs to happen for my own comfort. I know that focusing on their well-being and their ability to emotionally regulate and their ability to handle their big feelings is going to serve them in the future, is going to help them become the adults that they themselves deserve to be, honestly. Aw, that makes me emotional for them. Anyways, roomies, thank you as always for listening. I really love this community of people that's trying their best. I love sharing the realness on Instagram and um, going back and forth with you about all things that happen when you become a parent, the good, the bad, the ugly. And because you are somebody that is so naturally reflective, so naturally hilarious, so naturally talented that I want to remind you that with all that you bring to the table and all that you are, you will always raise the room. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for spending your precious time here with me today. If you'd like more, please follow along at raise.the.room on both Instagram and TikTok. Or you can go to my website, danicamarie.com. That's Danica with a C. Here you can book a human design session with me for you or your child. Or you can get one of my human design parenting courses that helps you understand your child's human design type. They're designed to help you work with the child you have instead of against them. And finally, if you're still here, this would be the point where I'd ask you to rate and review the podcast. Except just saying it out loud makes me want to die. So instead, I'll say, please share with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And finally, let's always remember that with all that you have to offer, you will always raise the room. Can't wait to chat soon. Bye.